Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 77. What does it mean to follow Christ? And how do you even do that? I mean, what did what did Jesus mean when he invited people to come and follow? What was he expecting? And what does it mean for us? What does he expect from me and you when he says come follow? That's what we're going to be looking at today. That's our topic. So I'm actually picking up, um, picking up the story from last week. So uh, we're actually in chronological order. Remember last week we looked at Jesus' baptism and I mentioned that he only had three years as a teacher, as a rabbi. So his ministry, the whole thing was only three years long or short. Isn't that amazing that he accomplished all this in just three short years? So I'm going to be continuing on in the timeline. And last week we looked at Jesus' baptism. Not the easiest of passages, I might add. I almost put a warning on that one that that was sort of podcast 76. I think that's for intermediate listeners. (laughs) I think that's a hard one. That was a hard text. But last week we looked at Jesus' baptism. And I mentioned that after his baptism, the ministry begins. He's about 30 years old. By the way, this is interesting. The life expectancy was 35. So when we're talking about calling disciples, these would be high school age, college age people. And Jesus would be 30 when he starts the ministry. So in three years, Jesus gives the world a life-giving message that would absolutely change history forever. He's baptized. We saw this last week. He's gifted with power from on high. He's immersed in the Jordan River. And as he comes up out of the water, Mark tells us, Gospel of Mark, that the heavens are torn apart. The spirit or the power of God or the energy of God descends. And Gospel of John tells us that the spirit remains on him. Okay, that's what we covered last week. And the first thing he does is he begins to gather around him as students or what we have come to know as he starts to call his disciples. And in each account, there's a similar pattern. Jesus comes across various different uh, people and he invites them to come and follow him. Now, in most cases, certainly in the case of the 12 disciples, that is closest group, the sort of inner group, in most cases, um, everybody just seems to stop doing what they're doing and follow him. It's the strangest thing if you if you read it. You know, they're fishing and they're out, they're James and John and Simon and Andrew, they're, they're in their fishing boats and Jesus walks along the shoreline and says, come follow me. And then they just drop their nets and then they go. They drop everything. And the first time you read it, you might think to yourself, well, that's kind of strange. I mean, they've just met this man, this rabbi. They've just met this rabbi and he invites them to come and and follow and they they drop everything and leave. I mean, it's really kind of unusual. I mean, don't you want to have a think about this first? 
You're really going to change direction this quickly? It's actually not something that makes a whole lot of sense to us 2,000 years later. I mean, most people, when they're thinking about a major life change, they're going to sit down, they're going to think about it. They're not just going to fling their nets to the side and say, okay, I'll be a disciple, I'll come and follow you. But here's the interesting thing. If you put yourself in the disciples' sandals, it isn't actually unusual at all to say yes to an invitation like this. Now, this is the fascinating thing. In Jesus' day, I'm going to give you the history of education so that you that this will really open up these passages. Anything about calling of disciples, it'll just make complete sense once you know the history of education. In Jesus' day, when boys were six, they began their education. Their education was basically memorizing the Torah. That is the first, what we call Old Testament, first five books of the Old Testament. That's what they did. So if you were a boy, you would memorize the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You'd go to synagogue, you'd meet with your rabbi, you would learn it. It's not so important that you would understand it at this point. You're memorizing it. Okay? So you're six years old. You're not going to understand it, but you can memorize a lot when you're six and seven and eight. And the belief was, the education was, and the belief was, look, this is going to end up being really good for these boys. God's word is good. It's life-giving. It's wise. It shows you the way. It comforts you. And in time, when they're older, this is all going to come back to them and it's going to start to make sense. And apparently the rabbis were very, very creative teachers. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, to us, it sounds like, oh, my, that would be horrible to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. I can't think of anything worse. But apparently the rabbis were really creative. So if they were speaking about how sweet God's word is, if they were talking about it tastes like honey, then, then the rabbis would take your writing tablet and they would pour honey all over it, literally, so that you could actually taste the honey and see how good God is. So, by the time you're 10 years old, most children finish their education. And by 10 years old, you would go and you would learn your trade. And if you were a girl... By the way, you're not studying anything. If you're a girl, you're going to marry at 13. Seems very young for us, but remember, they only live to about 35. So everything has to start early. Now, for exceptional students, exceptional students, kids that showed promise, these boys continued on their education at the House of Learning. And they memorized the rest of the Hebrew scripture. That would be Genesis through Malachi. The entire thing. Yeah. 10 to 14 years old. The entire, what we call Old Testament, known as the Hebrew scripture, the entire Hebrew scripture was committed to memory. And it's at this point, now the boys are older. Remember, there's very few of them, but for the ones who showed promise, they would 
memorize the rest of the scripture. And it was at this point that the rabbis would begin to teach them how to think, which is a whole other way of learning, which I won't go into because I want to give you the third level, the last level of education for the very, very, the brightest and best, the elite. At 15, you could go to the house of study. Hardly anyone got to go to the house of study. This is the Ivy Leagues now, the house of study. If you were fortunate enough to gain entrance to the house of study at 15 years old, you could choose a rabbi and you could ask him if you could follow him. Now note that reversal. If the rabbi said yes, you would commit to following that rabbi's teachings you would commit to following his interpretations and all his practices and all his understandings. Everything that the rabbi taught, you would commit to learning. It was very, very rare. Very few students reached this high standards. But if you got there, if you were a high achiever and you were really gifted academically, you could ask a rabbi at 15 if you could follow And that was called taking on the rabbi's yoke. And if you took on the rabbi's, if the rabbi said, yes, you can come and you can follow me, then then you would commit to learning everything that rabbi taught so that you could pass his legacy on to the next generations. Now, the rabbis were very, very picky about who to take on because he would have to believe that you had capacity to learn everything he knew, to live it, to walk the talk, and pass the teaching on to the next generation. So, lots of people didn't get to the stage, because it wasn't uncommon for good committed scholars to get cut at the last moment. They would go to the, they would go to the house of learning and they'd say, Rabbi, can I follow you? And they'd go, no, I'm sorry, you're not good enough. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't think that you have what it takes. It's a little bit like sports in North America today. Like, for example, I've watched people devote their lives to a sport, like, say, baseball or football, American football. And they'll... All throughout high school, actually before that, even in primary school, they'll commit, they train, they sacrifice all through um, high school. Some of them are fortunate enough to go on and play college football or baseball. And then there's more training and there's more sacrifice. And very, very few go on to professional sports. Very few. Most people get cut after college because they're just not, well, they're just not part of the elite. I mean, they're just not good enough. And that's kind of like what it was like uh, to to want, because ultimately these, these boys would end up possibly being rabbis, which would be the most awesome thing in the world 2,000 years ago. It's kind of like, a little bit like in Ireland in the 50s that every Irish Catholic family would like one of their sons to be a priest. Remember that in the 50s, 40s? was a wonderful thing, they'd think, if somebody could grow up and be a priest in the family. 
So, now I'm going to read you the passage uh, just a little bit here, and I want to see if I can pull this together for you. Here's the text. Uh, what is the text? The text is, uh, it's, let's see, John 1, 29-42, Gospel of John, New Testament. The next day, John the Baptist was there with two of his disciples, and he saw Jesus, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus asked them, what do you want? And the disciples said, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come. Come. And you will see. Now, in other, um, like say in Matthew or Mark or Luke, he'll actually say the words, come follow me. So he looks at the students and he'll say, come on and follow me. Now, remember I told you in each case they would drop what they were doing and they would go and follow. And remember I mentioned that, that's kind of a strange thing. There you are, you know, let's say you're working in a shop and Rabbi Jesus walks in and says, hey, you come follow me and you just put everything down and go follow. That just doesn't make sense to us. But Rabbi Jesus invites them to come. The ones who never got to the house of study. And remember, rabbis didn't invite students in Jesus' day. It was the student that would approach the rabbi. If the student eventually got to that high, high standard, he could go and ask a rabbi if he could come and follow. Rabbis didn't invite students. It was unheard of. It's just not done. It was never done. An exceptional student approached a rabbi. Maybe, maybe, maybe they would take the student on if they were excellent enough to carry the rabbi's yoke. But most of them did not get to follow. So here we have, see the difference 2,000 years later, Rabbi Jesus didn't just take the elite boys, right? These boys, they never got to level three education. They're fishermen. They left at 10 years old. They didn't get to go on. They didn't make the cut. They didn't show enough promise. They're not exceptional students. They're just average. They ended up learning a trade. They're fishermen. And then we find out later on that it's not just these boys. Mary Magdalene followed and Joanna followed and Susanna followed, Luke tells us in chapter 8. It's like, what? <laughs> Joanna and Mary and Susanna? Girls didn't get to follow. Girls didn't get to do that. It's like, who is this rabbi? Mary and Joanna and Susanna, they're girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, Rabbi Jesus isn't like any other rabbi. He's the one that does the calling and he calls everyone and everyone who will listen, anyone who wants to follow, he says, come, take my yoke, take my yoke. <laughs> this is amazing. Here's the wonder of this. Take my yoke. That's one of Jesus' sayings, Matthew eleven twenty nine. When Jesus says, take my yoke, when he says, 
come. Basically, what he's saying is, I know you can do this, and I know that you can pass on my legacy, because I believe in you. And you can walk in my way. Come, follow me. Now, remember the legacy of Jesus. We're talking about Rabbi Jesus here. We're talking about walking in the rabbi's footsteps. This is quite something, because this is the most loving, compassionate, wisest, kindest one that has walked on the earth. This is one who left a trail of healing behind him, wherever he went. And he's saying to you, take my yoke. I know you can do this. I know you can do this. I know that you can pass my legacy on because I believe in you. I wouldn't be asking you to do this if I didn't think you could. I remember last week, I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving you power. I'm pouring it out on you. I know that you can't do it by yourself. Of course you can't. It's like St. Paul's great line. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Because St. Paul had found the key. It's like, oh, wow, it's not really just up to me at all, is it? I mean, following Jesus isn't about just self-improvement. You know, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than good therapy. It's so much more than that. You know, further on in this passage, verse 43, this is great. Jesus looked at Simon and said, Simon, you're going to be called rock. Simon, you come and follow me. You're going to be called rock. It's like you're going to be called rocky. Well, here's the thing. Simon is nothing like a rock. He's not that kind of man. He's impulsive. He's not known for stability. And he's, Simon in his younger years is absolutely not known for stability. He's rash. He's hasty. He's irritable. He's capable of great anger and he's fearful. And Jesus comes along and says, Simon, take my yoke. And I'll help you and I'll lead you and you will become like a rock. You see, to follow is an invitation toward change. To follow, to follow Christ. To follow is an invitation. It's all about transformation. The traditional word is holiness. Holiness is transformation. So it's like God loves us too much to call us and then just leave us as we are. Life is one big transformation. It's one, it's, it's all, it's growth. It's change. And it's growing into our true selves. It's like if you're unstable, you're becoming like a rock as you follow. Over the years, you'll become more rocky, right? If you're angry, you'll become serene. And time. But it's not going to happen overnight, right? If you're worried, you're, and you're following, if you're worried, you're, you're learning how to trust. It's not possible to completely trust and worry at the same time, by the way. <laughs> you can't do that, right? If you've made a lot of foolish decisions and you've made a lot of bad choices, 
then the invitationist will come and follow and I'll give you some wisdom. You don't have to live this way. You can turn around. If you're cynical, if you're jealous, if you're discontent, you don't have to live this way. You can come and follow. If you're striving or you're stressed out and you're frazzled, the invitation, would you like, would you like to follow me into a new way of living? You know, when we're talking about that phrase, following Jesus or following Christ, it's to follow Christ into a new way of being in the world, a new way of living. And some do, some people do it and others appear not to. And some people start off strong, uh, you know, they're kind of sitting on the edge of their seats and then they fade out after a couple years. And for some it gets too demanding or it requires too much or some lose interest or some... Lots of people seem to get hurt by other uh, church folk or institutions. It's, that's a whole other issue. But some people get distracted uh, by the things of the world. Um, things of the world are things that appear to promise more than what they give you. You know, the things of the world are things that appear to, oh, I don't know, hold the key to happiness. Like, a, like a, for example, something of the world would be a promise of the world. That's a phrase in scripture. That would be something like, um, all you need is lots and lots of money and success, and then you'll be totally happy and fulfilled. Where Jesus would say this absolutely ridiculous it's a lie <laughs> nothing that's not going to work right um actually scripture teaches the opposite it would say there's nothing there's nothing more precious than to follow this rabbi who says come follow me because i'm leading you to abundant life here and now this side of eternity that's what we're following into. We're following into life. Nobody gets to their deathbed and says, I wish I hadn't been so faithful. I wish I hadn't put my life energy into seeking and following and changing and growing. I wish I hadn't transformed as much. You know, nobody says that. But, you know, people do get to the end of their lives and carry lots of regrets. Yeah. There's more to life than buying more stuff and eating more food, and buying another car, and adding another house, or getting the latest designer gear, or finding the perfect partner, or having the most successful children. Now, Rabbi Jesus would say, that's not, that's not going to be enough for you. That's not going to be enough for you. No one puts their life energy into following the rabbi and ends up filled with regrets. No one. It's like Jesus would say, well, leave your regrets behind and start to follow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a struggle. It's not necessarily easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's not easy because Jesus' way might not, is often not our way. And we're often led in the opposite way of what would come naturally to us. Because what comes naturally to us isn't always helpful because we can go overboard on things so easily. 
right? We can get out of balance so easily. Like for most of us, all you have to do is open your closet where you keep your clothes, open your cupboard and look at your clothes if you live in North America. It's like that is a picture for most of us. What do you need all that for? See, we can get out of balance so easily from cleaning the house to dismantling systems of justice. Right? That's what all the marches were about last week, wasn't it? Dismantling systems of justice. Nothing wrong with that. But again, what I'm saying is I think that people can get out of balance with whatever they do. Whatever your gifts, whatever your passions, whatever your responsibility, whatever your calling... Jesus is saying, will you follow me? I might be a parent, I might be a mom, I might be a musician, I might be a business owner, I might be a novelist. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. I can either follow my wits and my intelligence and let that lead me through life, or I can be open to another way that's less familiar, but always leads to what Jesus would call abundant life. And you end up finding yourself in the process. The real you, not the one you show the world, right? You end up what the scripture calls living in the flow of the spirit, which feels like it's like being in tempo with what God's doing in the world. You know what it feels like when you're out of tempo if you're if you're a musician? You don't even have to play an instrument. But if you do play an instrument, it helps. If you, you know what it feels like when you're, you're playing an instrument and you're out of tempo or you're singing a song and you're out of tempo. You can actually feel it in your body when you're out of tempo. It's jarring. It's like being, it's like a wrong note or it's like being off key. When you're in the flow, when you're in the spirit, when you're... Um, following, when you're following Christ, there's an ease to that. You know, you're not, you're not pushing against anything. It's what we were made for. It's what we were created for. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. Let me stay in temple with you, God, as I'm following. As I'm following, let me walk in your ways. Let me walk in your ways. Let me, let me not go against you. Let me be in your flow. Let me follow you. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode. <laughs>